Well, this is an important Sunday in the life of our church because for only the fourth time in our almost 20-year history, we will be ordaining elders this morning. And as elders, they are called by God to shepherd this flock, to shepherd us here at Redeemer. And sometimes when you and I think of shepherd, we think of peaceful. We think of lying down in green pastures. We think of leading beside still waters. We think of restoring the soul. And absolutely, that is part of the life of a sheep. And the shepherd participates with the sheep in the beauty of green pastures and still waters and soul restoration. So you would think that on this Sunday, where I've baptized my first grandchild, and on this Sunday where we celebrate that that God has raised up elders among us, and all the friends and family that have come to participate, that, that I, Craig, would choose something soft and sweet, like green pastures and cool waters upon which we can dwell this morning. Let me dispel that hope right now. I'm sorry if that disappoints you or even if it embarrasses you. But listen, I I can't do soft and sweet. And here's why. I was thinking that if the Lord wills, this little grandson of mine is going to be in this world a lot longer than I will be. And if the cultural decay that I have seen in my relatively short lifetime continues at this pace. I don't want to think about what this world will be like when he is my age. And so soft and sweet is not what we need. Because there is more to the life of every sheep than green pastures and still waters. Psalm 23 speaks of the valley of the shadow of death where danger and evil are present. And this too is part of the life of every sheep in this world. And so this morning we're going to look at a a characteristic of the kingdom of God that will compel us to pray, to pray for each other, but particularly to pray for these new elders because the kingdom of God must advance. And if the kingdom of God will advance in this place through us, then you and I must be bold, and we must have bold leaders. And in order to be bold, we must pray. And so that is my plea this morning, that we faithfully pray for boldness for ourselves and for our God-ordained leaders. Toward that end, we're going to be looking at two passages this morning, so I'm going to ask you to turn to both of them. One is Matthew chapter 11. And you'll find that on page 816 if you're using a pew Bible. Matthew chapter 11, page 816. And then if you will keep your finger there and flip to Acts chapter 22. And you'll find that on page 932 in the pew Bible. Matthew 11 and Acts 22. And when you found your place, let's stand so that we might hear read together. The word of the living God. 
Reading first from the Gospel of Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now turning to Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 22. Up to this word they listened to Paul. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched Paul out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came came to him and said, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. And the tribune answered, I brought this citizenship I bought this citizenship for a large sum, and Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. And so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you again for your word. Thank you that through it you speak truth to us so that we might know, Lord, how this world works and so that we might know our place in it how to live here, how to dwell here, how to advance your kingdom in this place. So toward that end, Lord, and with that thankfulness, we ask your blessing as we come now to your word. Father, we pray that through it, your truth would penetrate our hearts and our minds, and most importantly, Lord, our lives and the way we live them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. and be seated. In the passage we've just read from Acts 22, we actually jumped right into the middle of a story that began in Acts chapter 21, and it ends in Acts chapter 23. And as you look at these three verses, we read words like these, stirred up, seized, dragged, kill him, beating, arrested, bound with chains, violence, flogging, shouting against him, stretched out for the whips. Now these are the words that describe the experience of the Apostle Paul simply because he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and because he is one who zealously proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ and because he literally pours his life out to see The kingdom of God advance on this earth. Paul's not so much living in green pastures and beside still waters. 
Instead, he is living out the reality and living in the the shadow of darkness and evil and death. And so he's literally experiencing the kingdom as Jesus described it in Matthew 11. We read there that the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Now this is a very difficult verse to translate It has many different interpretations, and the difficulty comes from the word in its two forms, translated violent and violence. It's never used again in Scripture. Secondly, it's hard to know whether to to translate this word in the passive voice or the middle voice. And thirdly, the word has several definitions. The word could mean to inflict violence. Or it could mean to gain an objective by violence. Or it could mean to go after something with enthusiasm or to seek something fervently. So some, many wise scholars have opted for that third option about enthusiasm and fervency. And so they have translated the verse in this way, that the kingdom of God is pressing forward vigorously, and vigorous men are eagerly taking possession of it. And that's very true as far as the kingdom of God goes. Since John the Baptist cleared the way for Jesus, the kingdom of God has been advancing vigorously. People with grave illnesses have been healed. People who were dead were brought back To life, notorious sinners who were discarded by their society have found new life and new hope in Jesus Christ. And not only through his ministry, but through the ministry of the disciples as well. And so, if this is the sense in which Jesus Uh, intended in speaking this verse, that, that the kingdom of God is pressing forward vigorously, then you and I should understand right in this moment that the kingdom of God is not something in which we can simply dabble a little. If Jesus means vigorous, then the kingdom of God is not for dabblers. The kingdom of God, it's powerful, it's life-changing, and it's not to be belittled by just a little human dabbling. The advancement of the kingdom requires enthusiastic commitment. It requires effort and energy. It requires those who are willing to fight the good fight. It requires that we put on the whole armor of God and fight against our enemy. It requires that when we sing a mighty fortress is our God, we mean it. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Listen, we don't dabble with that. And so taken in this sense, Jesus' words in Matthew 11 about the kingdom of God. They should inspire zeal 
and passion in each of us. Jesus' meaning has been described in this sense as a violent struggle of passionate faith. A violent struggle of passionate faith. It's not for rich, young rulers. Jesus told the rich, young ruler, if you want to give it all you've got, go sell your possessions. Give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. He was a dabbler in the things of God. In his commentary, William Hendrickson writes that the kingdom of God is not won by deferred prayers, unfulfilled promises, broken resolutions, and hesitant testimonies. And so in light of all this, each of us have to stop and look at our own faith and ask ourselves some soul-searching questions. Are we dabblers? Where's our zeal? Where's our passion? How tightly do we, like the rich young ruler, hold on to the things of this world? And how is the cause of the kingdom of Christ prying our grip off of those things? Are we people of deferred prayers? Lord, I'll pray about that later. Are we people of unfulfilled or broken promises or resolutions? Oh, it's okay. It's the Lord. He'll understand. Hesitant testimonies. Keeping the good news of Jesus Christ. Who He is and what He has done for us to ourselves. These are things for us to consider as individuals and as our life together as a church Many wise and scholarly people believe this is the interpretation of Jesus' words. And if this is the meaning of Jesus in Matthew 11, then good. Because it's a beautiful meaning. And it's a challenging meaning. And it's consistent with the teaching of other scriptures. If this be the meaning, then we need boldness for these things. We need bold leadership that does not allow us to dabble. But rather leadership that inspires us to work together for the advancement for the kingdom of God, and so we must pray. Pray for boldness for ourselves. Pray for boldness for our leaders. However, many other wise and scholarly people do not believe this is the meaning of Jesus' words. Instead, they believe that Jesus is speaking in Matthew 11 of real violence, Violence at work against the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so for me, for reasons too many to go into, this is the most convincing and compelling meaning. That Jesus is speaking of real violence. And if that be the case, then words like rejection and hostility and persecution come to be adjectives that describe the lives of of believers in Christ. 
So Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11, before he tells us later to take up our cross and follow him, he tells us that his kingdom is not a patty cake kingdom. The kingdom of God and the advancement of it will come under violent attack by those who oppose Christ, by those who oppose the gospel and the life of truth to which we are called as believers in Christ. And though entrance into the kingdom of God is open to all. Entrance into the kingdom of God is open to all. All who will believe. Without exception and without exclusion, still we must enter the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. And this reality will bring opposition and violence wherever it is authentically and passionately proclaimed. Now, I will readily concede that there are beautiful aspects of sweet Southern Christianity. There are biblical aspects of sweet Southern Christianity. But often we here don't embrace the fullness of kingdom living. Christianity isn't just sweet and genteel. It requires zeal and passion and willingness to fight and to suffer. And that's why the ordination of these men in a few moments is so important. We ordain them so that they can lead us together to follow Christ so that they can lead us together into the battle and encourage us all while we fight. I believe that Jesus is referring to real violence because that's what we see in the life of Paul in Acts chapter 22. We can turn our attention there just briefly. Paul is in Jerusalem, and once again he has been arrested. And once again he has suffered violence. It didn't have to be this way for Paul. Realize this. For the Apostle Paul, it could have just been a dabbling, patty cake kind of genteel Christianity for him. And no one would have condemned or criticized him for it. In fact, they would have probably embraced him. Listen to what Paul experienced. As he made his way, stop by stop, to Jerusalem. When he met with the elders in Ephesus, Paul told them, And now I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul knew what was coming, but he continued his journey anyway. He stopped entire. And through the Spirit, the disciples there were telling Peter, uh, Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go, Paul. Stay safe. But Paul was bold, and so he continued his journey anyway. He stopped in Caesarea. And he went to the home of his friend Philip, one of the first seven deacons ever ordained by the church. And a prophet named Agabus was there. 
And Agabus came to Paul and he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and he, and he bound his hands and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go, Paul. Stay safe. But Paul is bold. And he answered them, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. And so Paul arrives in Jerusalem. And he experienced all the violence that had been predicted. I read the words earlier. Stirred up, seized, dragged, killing, beating, arrested, bound with chains, violence, flogging, shouting against him, stretched out for the whips. Violence is swirling all around Paul. By the end of this chapter, Paul will have for the moment escaped certain death four times. But the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. And it is against such violence that the kingdom of God and the gospel must advance. And when the church, when our church, fails to realize this or to encounter this, It's when the church is anemic and without relevance and without power or influence in that place and through that church, the kingdom of God does not advance. But listen, the kingdom of God must advance because it's such a good kingdom. Do you know that? Do you believe it? It is a kingdom of grace and mercy and love. It's a kingdom of compassion. It's a kingdom of help and hope. It's a kingdom that welcomes and accepts anyone, anyone who will enter it by faith. There is not now, nor has there ever been, nor will there ever be another kingdom like the kingdom of God. So... We've got to be bold in advancing it. And we must pray that it will advance through us. And we must pray that we will be led well into this eternally worthy mission in spite of the violence. Think about the cross of Christ. It was a weapon of extreme violence. Because the coming of the kingdom of God is really an invasion. Jesus came from heaven to earth to invade and to reclaim. One of my favorite visuals here in my mind is one that Kathy, my wife, came up with years ago. And I've shared it with you before. It was one year around Easter. And she said, Craig, you know, the, the cross of Christ was like a stake in God's hand. 
And God plunged it into the earth. And he said, this belongs to me. I'm staking my claim, marking my territory. I'm taking it back, reclaiming what is mine through the cross of Christ. But not without opposition. Because the kingdom of God advances into enemy territory. And so it must therefore advance amid violence. And so the question for us is this. How do we keep moving forward? As Paul kept moving forward, knowing what he knew. How do we not retreat to safe and sweet and genteel Christianity? From where will you get the boldness? Where will the elders get the boldness to stand for the gospel and for Jesus Christ and against those who would do it violence? To tell people, even well-intentioned people who would turn us away from that, no, we must move forward. Look in verse 1, chapter 23. And looking intently, At the council, Paul spoke. See, Luke records this little detail for us. He records that Paul was looking intently. That Paul had fixed his gaze on his enemies. Looking straight at the ones who would do him violence. Looking right into the eyes of the ones who would take his life. Paul did not drop his eyes. He did not avert his gaze as if he were timid or afraid to look, hopeful in some way that if he portrayed humility, that would inspire pity. No, Luke describes Paul's fixed gaze because that communicates something. An intent, fixed look communicates confidence and courage and boldness. And that's what Paul had. And what was the source of his boldness? Look again in verse 1. Paul says, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Here's Paul's confidence. He has his life rightly ordered. Paul knows who he serves. It's God. Paul knows the one before whom every duty must be performed. It's God. Paul knows the one before whose gaze he lives his life. And the one before whom he will stand one day. It's God. God, His Heavenly Father, is the source of Paul's confidence. Tim Keller, in commenting on this verse, says, Here we see that the secret of confidence before human beings is confidence before God. He has not been as concerned to please people as to please God and fulfill His obligations to the Lord. And as a result, there is boldness. As Paul says elsewhere, if God is for us, who can be against us? His boldness comes from having a right relationship with God before whom he stands. Listen, listen, listen. You will not be bold. You cannot be bold before others if you cannot be bold before God. It won't happen. So how do you feel before God? Are you confident 
before Him? Are you bold before the Lord? You can be, and you must be, and it is an arrogance to be. Our boldness is from faith. Faith, not in yourself, but in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished by that violent death on the cross. Faith that the Lord Jesus Christ right now is in heaven, in the presence of the Father, acting as our great high priest, standing before us and God. Faith that the Lord Jesus Christ presents Himself as the perfect, complete, nothing else required payment for our sins. Faith that God the Father accepts that payment on our behalf. Listen, you don't get points for diverting your eyes from the Father or shrinking in fear. To do that is to deny the certainty of what Jesus has done for us. We must boldly claim the promise. Instead of in fear or false humility, believing it doesn't count for us, it does count for you. Be bold. Fix your eyes on the Father. Because when you come to Him, you do not come alone. You do not stand alone. Jesus stands with you. Jesus stands for you. Jesus speaks for you as your advocate. So there is no fear. Do you believe that? There is no fear, but there is great need. And the great need that every one of us has in this room, particularly if we will be bold, is for the grace and the mercy of God. And God has both of those in abundance. And God promises to give them to us when we come into His presence. So we must be bold to go. Bold to say, Father, forgive me. And not wonder if He will forgive. Know that He will forgive every time. Go into the presence of the Father and not wonder if you will receive grace, if you will receive mercy. You will receive both every time. Because God has bound Himself by covenant to provide forgiveness and grace and mercy for all who seek it. And guess what? God never goes back on His promises. God is always faithful. I feel like a Baptist preacher. I'm getting so hot. 2 Corinthians 1.20, and we're almost done. For all the promises of God, find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Yes, God has bound Himself to forgive us and to save us. And to pour out His grace and mercy on all who come to Him by faith. And so if you are here this morning and you have not yet put your faith in Christ, do it. He is an awesome Savior. He is an awesome King of an awesome kingdom. You will never find another King. You will never find another kingdom. Anywhere that can bring you greater joy or peace or satisfaction. Come to Christ through faith. If you are here this morning and you're a believer, be bold. Boldly believe in the promises of God. A couple more reasons for boldness. And then we really are done. 
Because if we're not bold before the Lord, we won't have the ability to be bold before others. And listen, if we are afraid of our greatest friend, if we're afraid of our greatest friend and amazing advocate, how can we stand against our enemy? We won't. We can't. We'll just become dabbling, patty-cake Christians, sweet, southern, and genteel. And we might shrink away from a faith that brings violence into our lives or refuse it when it comes. And so we must be bold. And let me give you reasons for boldness. Because if God is for us, what does it matter? Who is against us? Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that make you feel bold? Colossians 1.22 But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Does that make you feel bold? Hebrews 9.11 How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. Does that make you feel bold? I pray it does. The kingdom of God advances through boldness, even in the shadow, the valley of death, even in the midst of violence. And so we must pray for one another. We must pray for these men who are about to be ordained as elders that they will be the ones who faithfully and boldly remind us of these true proclamations that God Himself has uttered. And we must pray that armed with the boldness that comes before God, that we will together be bold to advance the kingdom of God here in Charleston and around the world. I'll say it again. There is not another kingdom like it in all of its glory. And you and I, must advance it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you again for telling us the truth. Sometimes we forget it, Lord. and Sometimes we pick and choose the parts of it that please us the most and that we like best. And Lord, we are green, pasture, still, water people. We love life that way. Father, we are not people who like the valley or the shadow of death or turmoil. Yet, Lord, that's part of the complete truth of your word. And so, Father, we pray now that you would take the truth of your word, truth that you intend to give us great courage and great boldness. That's why you Give it to us, Lord. I pray that we would take that truth and live it out in this world, that we would with great boldness come into your presence. We need the grace and mercy that you give us. And Lord, help us not to shrink away from the bad things of life, from the evil. Help us not become quiet and silent before it, hoping it will go away. Lord, give us boldness. Give us zeal. Give us passion to be those who seek to advance your kingdom here on this earth, to proclaim the gospel, Lord, to so many people who need it, so that they might be part of this glorious kingdom and have hope and health and healing and life eternal with you.
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.